everyone. My name is Nick Wignall, and you're listening to the Minds and Mics podcast. On this show, I talk with experts in the fields of psychology, behavioral science, and human potential, and try to see the world through their eyes. How do they think differently about topics as diverse as addiction and mindfulness to parenting and motivation? What do they know that most of us don't? And what can we learn from them to improve our own lives in practical, meaningful ways? Today, I'm talking with psychologist and clinical hypnosis expert, Tracy Stein. In this conversation, we try to tease out what hypnosis actually is, what it definitely isn't, and what types of problems or goals it's especially useful for. Whether you're curious to learn more about this often misunderstood concept, or just want to take advantage of hypnosis to make a change in your life, I think you'll find our chat both intriguing and helpful. Tracy Stein, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive right in here. Um, What are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about hypnosis? Well, that's a great question because there are a lot of them. So one misconception is that people need to be feeble-minded to be um, hypnotically suggestible, um, or that very few people can become um, hypnotized or enter into a hypnotic trance. or, you know, that there's something very mystical about it, or that just anybody can do it um, in terms of a practitioner. And so those are some of the more common misconceptions. And it's worth clarifying, you know, what's really actually true. Yeah, right. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word hypnosis, they they think of some, I don't know, old-timey stage show with a <laughs> guy in a costume, like waving an amulet and a bunch of dummies <laughs> on stage, just kind of doing ridiculous things. Um, Definitely. So let's, let's kind of, uh, I hope people can tell by the tone in both of our voices that that is absolutely <laughs> not what hypnosis actually <laughs> no. is. Um, so let's just, let's start from the beginning. What is hypnosis exactly? Like what, what's kind of a straightforward way of explaining to people what hypnosis really is? Well, the first thing I tell people is that it's a very natural state that most of us go in and out of all of the time um, every day. And so I can explain more about that in a minute. In terms of hypnotic trance, which is, I think, what most people are curious about what that actually is, um, it it's the ability or the state of going into um, a more significant inner focus or sustained focus and attention to something specific. So it could be on your inner world, but it could also be on something in the outer world as well. So um, in hypnosis, you might be much more focused on, say, uh, ambient sound or the sound of uh, meditation chime. It could really be anything. Or conversely, you could be focused on a sense of peace and comfort in your own body or in the idea of yourself um, being more confident or um, doing something in the future very successfully. And it's a state of decreased attention to really everything else for the time being. So you're much more absorbed in and attentive to and focused on something specific and letting everything else go to the side. You're also more receptive to hypnotic suggestions when you're in hypnosis. And hypnotic suggestions really, um, they're just thoughtfully formed statements or verbal guidance that's designed to help you get to your goal. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the experience of hypnosis. Gotcha. Yeah, I like the the emphasis on, it seems like it's more about attention and, and focus and freedom from kind of distraction than it is about any kind of mystical uh, state. I, it, it almost makes me think of um, 
I think of athletes a lot in, in a couple areas where what you're describing sounds a lot like what happens in, in athletics, which is, you know, a, a lot of athletes work with positive visualization a lot. So they'll, you know, if you watch like, I don't know, Michael Phelps before getting in the pool at the, you know, he's really like kind of zoned in and he's, he's talked about how important those positive visualization routines are. And then you see and hear about people being in like flow states, you know, in in athletics. So how is hypnosis related to those two things? Is it different? Is it the same? So many things that we do just in our daily lives, like intensely daydreaming about something or specifically focusing on something with our own imagery or guided imagery, those things are just naturally hypnotic. And I think a lot of athletes both do things that are very deliberately hypnotic. And I think it's really great. I think it's more common than most people realize. But there are also um, just things about being in that kind of, um, I don't want to, like, I guess, more activated state emotionally that probably is very trance-inducing. But athletes definitely do. And you'll hear people describe things like feeling like they're a little bit outside of themselves as they go to Um, catch that ball or as they're going for the finish line. And there will, some people will say it feels like time has slowed down or like they felt like they were observing themselves doing it almost or almost like it had already happened right before it happened. And those are common experiences of people when they're in hypnotic states generally. What about, it sounds, it also sounds a lot like, um, like mindfulness. If people are familiar with mindfulness meditation practices, are, are those, would you say if someone's doing a, a traditional mindfulness exercise, would they, are, are they in a hypnotic state? You know, it's a really good question because I don't know if anybody has looked at it from that angle, like is mindfulness hypnosis? And um, it's not the same phenomenon, but it absolutely is a state of, increased focus on something specific. And, you know, I'm not sure, I think the absorption would be different because the idea of mindfulness is also um, a kind of an easy detachment. Um, But yet mindfulness pairs very well with hypnosis. And in fact, it is often incorporated in hypnosis, especially these days. And I've done that. I've included that in my own um, work with patients, but also in the recordings that I've made because hypnosis, I think, enables us to pay more strict attention to that one thing we want to focus on. And the, if you think about the cues, when we teach people mindfulness to observe without attaching or to let other things fall to the side, there's something very inherently hypnotic about that. So let's, that, that's kind of a nice bridge into, uh, uh, I wanted to see if you would talk a little bit about what hypnosis actually looks like. So you, you, well, how would you describe what you do as a, both as a mental health professional and also a specialist in hypnosis? Like, do you consider yourself a hypnotherapist? So that's so interesting. Um, You're probably not even realizing why that's such a, an important thing to bring up. People, you know, I've, I've said I do hypnosis or, you know, clinical hypnotherapy, but there's actually a lot of um, kind of conflict in the hypnosis professional world about whether you can even use the term hypnotherapy. Most people do, but um, because it's not meant to be a standalone treatment for the most part. Um, You know, if you're talking to a room of licensed clinicians, you know, that's going to be the stance that we take. So for me, if I'm seeing somebody in my office, 
I'm going to do an intake and try and learn about what's been going on with them and what they hope will change in a very normal, very conscious, everyday way. But that information is going to be incorporated into the hypnosis. So I always make sure that I explain to people what it is and what it isn't. And then we very explicitly together come up with some goals that that feel right to the person. And I'll even get a sense of the imagery that works for them. So for example, if somebody's goal is to be more relaxed, one common way of doing that would be to do a hypnotic induction where we help them get more relaxed and focused again on that one thing and let go of everything else for a while. And that's usually just by verbal guidance, but it can also be um, by having them do something with their bodies, like um, look at a spot on the wall as they count backwards um, from say a hundred to one. And while we're also giving them the suggestion to go deeper and deeper within. But then when they're in that place, it's important for me to know whether Um, a beach scene is going to be a relaxing kind of way to get them to that more relaxed place, or if that's going to be awful for them because they hate the beach or they're afraid of water. They just watch Jaws. Yeah. (laughs) Not the most relaxing scene. No. So, you know, and, and then people most often will feel like they're kind of daydreamy. You know, that kind of alpha brainwave, um, kind of, you know, noticing the movie in your mind more than the outside world, even though you still know that you're in the room and you're with me. But that said, for people who are very highly hypnotically suggestible and can go into a very deep trance, many of them will say, you know, I heard what you were saying in the beginning, and then I heard bits and pieces throughout the middle, and then I didn't really hear anything. Um, But then they hear my suggestions to come back to normal waking alertness. And that tells me that they were not sleeping, right? Because if you're sleeping, you'll just continue sleeping. But you can go so deep that on some level, you're taking in the hypnotic suggestions to help you get to your goal. But you really lose kind of awareness of the outside world. That's for a small subset of people. And I'm actually one of those people. You mentioned a few terms in there I, w- I want to kind of clarify because these go, I think in people's minds, these go along with hypnosis, but let's kind of nail them down a little bit. Like, w- what is a trance exactly? Because that's one of those other words people associate <laughs> with like magicians or something. <laughs> right. So trance would be actually that state of in- enhanced focus on an absorption in and attention to that something specific and kind of letting go of other kind of stimuli and just not really attending to um, things you would normally attend to in the same way because you're, that's not your task. Um, hip, hypnotic trance states also tend to be things where people feel that their minds don't wander in the same way that they normally do. Um, so it's much easier to be focused on something. And it can feel like things very automatically kind of flow. So... Um, if you're giving them the suggestion or they are um, being, it's being suggested to them that they feel increased bodily comfort, say, or something like that, or even warmer or cooler, it just seems to happen more um, than it seems like they're doing something. So there's an automaticity that's increased. There's this uh, baseball movie from maybe 20 years ago with Kevin Costner called For Love of the Game. Okay. 
I have heard he, of it. I haven't seen it though. He's a pitcher. He's a professional pitcher. And he, there's this, one of the motifs in the movie is when he, whatever, there's all this drama going on in his life or whatever. And, but when he gets out onto the mound, you know, the crowd is roaring and there's all, all the other players, but then he has this little mantra he says to himself, something along the lines of engage the mechanism. And then he does that. And it's like, everything kind of blurs out the sound like goes down and it's, he just kind of like zooms in on the catcher's mitt and then he kind of like goes into the zone. So when I, when I hear people talk about trances, that that's partly what I think is like when, when you're kind of in the zone, when people colloquially say like, I'm in the zone, would you say, is that, is that a trance state? You know, absolutely. Okay. And I would actually say that he is putting himself very deliberately into that trance state, even if you wouldn't call it that, um, because, you know, some people will say all hypnosis is self-hypnosis and, um, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, largely you're choosing to be in that hypnotic state and feeling comfortable is what allows you to do that to some extent when you're with a, a clinician, but it's also the thing that helps you get into the zone when you're, you know, playing baseball or basketball or, or focusing on doing well on an exam in school or, um, or jogging, you know, there's a part of you that knows that this is the time for you to shift into that state. And it's a different state from normal, um, normal focused awareness on the outside world. Yeah. You know, another funny one that I, I can relate to with this is I feel like sometimes when I'm, um, my wife will give me a hard time when we're, we're driving somewhere, because if we're driving and we get into a conversation, especially good conversation, I, I think I, I don't know how safe this is. I think I kind of go into a trance state in, the, in that I'm so like absorbed in the conversation that, and she always points out that I always, and this is probably good. I always slow down. Like I, we're going, we're on the freeway and I'm going like 55, you know, cause I'm just so absorbed in the particular conversation. Um, but it, but it's this idea of, I, I like that word of used of being absorbed in something. And because I think it's it's so relatable, like we, everybody can can relate to that concept of being so in, absorbed in something that it's not like you're completely oblivious to your surroundings, but they, they do get kind of everything but what you're paying attention to gets a little bit blurred out. Well, I'm so glad you brought that example up because remember how before I said I'll talk about these kind of everyday trances that people get into all of the time. And a little bit, well, I think now is probably the time. Um, that was a great segue. Uh, because driving trances, I think, are one of the most common trances we experience. And we can experience them whether we're a passenger and we can experience them if we're the driver as well. I think they, um, I think highway driving does that to people much more because there are fewer changes. Um, but certainly if you're driving uh, a route that you're very familiar with, you can easily slip into that trance. So when you're talking with your wife, um, you are probably forming, both of you forming images in your mind, not just visual images, but maybe uh, sensory, you know, feeling images or bodily sensations or, um, you know, recalling something that one of you heard and you're hearing it in your mind. But those are, th those are trance states because really your body is in the car but your mind really is not entirely in the car. And when you're deeply engrossed in a trance like that, you may miss your exit and then you kind of snap out of it. Or, you know, if a, a bunny rabbit runs across the road, you'll probably, hopefully, we hope you'll slam on your brakes because part of your mind is paying attention, 
but a lot of your mind has been engrossed in something else. But that happens all of the time. Same thing if people, like I mentioned, if they're jogging or um, doing um, dance or engage in artwork or watching a movie or reading a really good book, all of those things um, evoke everyday trance states. Yeah, I like that that idea that it's really cool when you think about it, that your mind is is really smart in all this because it, while it does sort of block out a lot of stuff to, to give you heightened focus on, on something you're absorbed in, it, it can still get, it's still on the lookout for the really essential stuff, right? Right. You know, if a fire alarm goes off, like you're <laughs> going to snap out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And then actually you'll see that um, in clinical hypnosis in the therapy session as well, because I will give people suggestions that, um, you know, and for the next several minutes, you know, your awareness can, you know, maybe notice things going on, you know, noises in the hallway or outside the room or outside, but they'll only serve to deepen your state of focus on what we're talking about. But of course, if you need to, you'll be able to come back to the present, you know, very easily. And that's actually what happens. People won't hear construction noises outside if they don't need to attend to them. Um, And, you know, it's kind of cool that your mind is made to do this. Yeah, totally. What about, so uh, another kind of idea that's been passing through some of this conversation is the idea of suggestibility. Um, yes. And I think this comes up a lot for people when they casually think of hypnosis, that it, it feels in a lot of people's minds, hypnosis is somehow manipulative, like someone's going to get me to do something I wouldn't otherwise do or can't do, or, or they're going to make me do things that I don't want to do. So what is suggestibility exactly in the context of hypnosis? Yeah, so that's a great question. So most of the population has some ability to be receptive to hypnotic suggestion, to enter into those those states, again, of increased absorption and attention and into something and focus on something. Maybe about two-thirds have some moderate level of ability. So they can do that, but they might be not they won't be the people necessarily who'll go so deep that it feels like the deepest sleep ever where they don't hear anything another maybe 10 15% of people roughly um probably have low or almost no ability to be really absorbed in or hypnotically suggestible so suggestions will be something that you know really don't do that much more for them than they would in the conscious state and then there's another maybe 10, 15%. I realize this doesn't add up perfectly to 100% because there's, there's not like a perfect um, database of who's suggestible or not. But about 10 to 15% probably are pretty highly hypnotically suggestible. There was a study that came out in 2012 and um, looked at that. And basically, there are different networks in the brain, um, the executive control network, which is going to help us pay attention and plan things and focus, and the salience network, um, which helps us kind of notice stimuli in, in our bodies and in our minds and help us, it helps us decide what's relevant to pay attention to and what isn't. And in this one study, they found that um, people who are highly hypnotically suggestible had um, greater functional connectivity between those two networks than people who are less hypnotically suggestible. So those parts of their 
brains, those the various structures in those parts of their brains were better able to kind of get the message to each other that, oh, this is what we're doing now. We're going to let go of this stuff and focus on this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, another thing that happens is you're less, um, you're less self-conscious um, when you're in hypnotic trance. And, and highly hypnotically suggestible people have an easier time making use of that state. Interesting. So how, okay, um, how does this work? Tell, tell me about this. So I personally, I, I think of myself in general as a pretty analytical person. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm pretty skeptical, I think, by nature. Okay. I find myself often kind of like questioning things and kind of playing devil's advocate in my head a lot. I'm, I'm kind of a contrarian. <laughs> At the same time, um, I feel like I get into ordinary trance states at least, I mean, pretty frequently, you know, so it, whether it's, you know, in a really good conversation or when I'm playing basketball or, or even like when I'm writing sometimes, like I, I just really kind of get in the flow. So are, it seems like maybe these two things are independent of one another, like your ability to, to either be hypnotized or fall into a kind of trance state is not necessarily related to um, to suggestibility is that how do those two things relate so you know i think you know it is in the in in common discourse i think we think of suggestibility as something that makes you vulnerable to being taken advantage of like oh this person was duped and that's that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about somebody being highly hypnotically suggestible like yes you are able, I'm going to say you're able to make good use of hypnotic suggestion and you're able to go very deeply into those states we talked about more easily, but it doesn't mean that you're weak-willed or unintelligent. And actually very intelligent people um, can get a lot out of doing hypnosis. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I, I myself am very skeptical and, you know, I think I'm reasonably intelligent and, you know, I... I'm highly hypnotically suggestible. That doesn't mean, though, that if I am in a hypnosis session and somebody's doing hypnosis with me, that I will just accept. You tend not to take in or accept things that don't feel right to you. And I think if you have a clearer sense of what is important to you and what your morals and your values are, I think that carries through in the hypnotic state. So... Um, I mean, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost makes me think of, I think we can all like relate to that experience of maybe we kind of know we should do something like, um, you know, maybe we, we want to start exercising more and, and, you know, thinking about it for a while and reading some stuff. We've been talking to people, getting lots of ideas and, and, but nothing's really changing. But then at some point it kind of clicks and we start doing it. And I almost feel like, and you can tell me you're the, you're the expert here, but maybe hypnosis is a way to kind of speed up that natural process of you, you have some sort of value or something you want to, to go further on or to understand more or, or, or to, to do differently. And it, it's not, it's not, you're doing something you don't want to do. It's just, it, it facilitates doing something you already want to do. Definitely. Um, hypnosis can be really helpful in making healthy behavior change. And 
I think one of the reasons why that works is if you think about it, we're always of more than one mind about something, even if we wouldn't always mm-hmm. admit it, right? There's So sure. using your example, a part of you might want to, um, I'm going to say train for the half marathon, but another part of you might be like, I'd rather sleep in or, you know, my <laughs> knees hurt or whatever it is. Um, and that's okay. Hypnosis, think about that as the hypnotically receptive part of you is like the back of your mind. There's always stuff going on back there all of the time. Um, And then there are these other parts of you that might have different opinions. It's almost like hypnosis helps get all parts of you talking to each other and on board with the thing that you think is best for you. Mm, That's a great metaphor. I like that. All right. So we're going to transition now into the kind of the second half of the show. Um, where, where I want to talk about um, kind of how hypnosis is actually used and how clinical hypnosis in particular is kind of used. Um, so let's start kind of open-ended. In general, in your experience, what is hypnosis especially useful for? Okay. So one would be um, mental rehearsal of a goal they want to achieve and helping them get to that goal, whether it's um, athletic performance or confidence or um you know, starting a new healthy regimen or stopping doing something you want to let go of. Another important use is symptom management or symptom reduction. So whether that's chemotherapy-induced nausea or fear in an MRI machine or somebody who's got a chronic pain condition, it's very useful for that. Um, General stress management. Also, shedding light on what people want to do in a relationship there's something about being in that state that can be very clarifying for people. Gotcha. So those, those are great things for hypnosis. Yeah. Let's kind of dive into a couple of those. So I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, but I think one of the really among people who understand that hypnosis is kind of a clinical tool and, and that it's something you can see a professional for one of the things that often pops into people's minds and just maybe because they've heard about it in the media is hypnosis for smoking cessation. Um, People who want to quit smoking. Is that true? And if so, what what does that actually look like? Definitely. Um, You know, and again, it's going to be most helpful for somebody who's receptive to the idea of hypnosis and has some ability to be hypnotically suggestible. Um, So remember before we were talking about how you can incorporate mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy into hypnosis, you can you can do that pretty easily and take the tools that we know can help somebody um, to to breathe through cravings, and I think it helps them take it in in a deeper way. Now, if I were also thinking like a psychoanalyst, which I'm not, so I hope I don't get too much um, <laughs> blowback from the analysts who are like, "You got that wrong." But um, you know, we all have a variety of unconscious reasons why we may do things. And smoking is one of those things. And um, in fact, I'm thinking of one of my smoking cessation cases that was among the most dramatic um, shifts that I've ever seen and the most quickly. Um, But this person had a lot of reasons that they were previously unaware of that kept them smoking. And in that trance state, they had more clarity about how to, you know, what what purpose the tool of smoking had served and how to change that, how to let it go. So I, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can actually work toward the same goal hypnotically, but using different, um, hypnotic approaches. 
So if I if I come to see you and I want to quit smoking, I really want to, and I'm I'm at least moderately suggestible. Um, does the does the the hypnotic induction and and being in a trance state is that when I'm in that is the is the content of maybe what your the suggestions you're giving me is that related to smoking or giving up smoking or not necessarily or like what does that actually look like? So that's a great question. So one thing to keep in mind is that this kind of subconscious part of you is what I think is receptive to hypnotic suggestion. And so it's the it's this part of you that is largely below the level of conscious awareness, but not completely inaccessible to you. That part of you loves symbol, imagery, metaphor. And so you can actually not even really talk explicitly about the problem or the solution and, and create kind of a story that has symbolic meaning, and that can help someone. So if it's okay, I'll, I'll use the um, example of smoking cessation. Sure. So one person in particular um, you know, had tried everything, the patch, um, Wellbutrin, all these things, still wasn't able to quit, but had had periods where he had quit before. And so, you know, one hypnotic session could be having him journey back in time to that feeling of having quit and how great that felt and what it felt like to be in a body where his hands didn't smell like tobacco. That was really important to him and where his lungs felt clear and he could exercise without being out of breath. Um, and another time it was to think about being around for his grandchildren and being able to move forward in time to the future and seeing them on this very uh, relaxing beach because he loved the beach, um, seeing them as they had grown up and how important it was to them to have him in their lives and them telling him this. Um, so things like that. But another image that was really helpful for him was to imagine himself with a group of people who were um, all dressed in white. This was his imagery, not mine. And I think to him, the wearing white clothing symbolized purity and that it wouldn't be stained by tobacco. And he noticed that they smelled really clean and their skin looks good and they just seemed healthy. And he was able to look back and see leaving behind this group of smokers. And he he was aware of feeling kind of disgusted by, um, you know, the fact that they smelled like stale smoke and they they're, they looked unhealthy. And so, I mean, for him, it was literally getting on a boat and sailing away with the people who were smoke-free. Now, I wouldn't even, you know, I could use the word smoking, but I could also just talk about how healthy they were and how good their lungs felt and um, the fact that they were embodying everything that he really wanted to be. So you don't have to be super um, literal in that state. But in that state, you're receptive to what it means for you, right? Because even quitting smoking means something to people. It's not just quitting smoking to quit smoking. You know, it's to be healthier or to save money or to not have this social stigma and so forth. Yeah. Um, man, there's so much in there that really resonates with me. The, the first is one thing I'm, I'm realizing from you is that when we talk about being receptive in, in a hypnotic state or in a trance, it's it seems to me like it's not really about being receptive to someone else's advice or someone's good ideas or someone's manipulations. It's really about becoming more receptive to yourself, to stuff that's already kind of inside you, to capabilities you already have, right? Absolutely. And that, but that, I, I feel like that's something that um, you know I I certainly had never really thought about. But you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. 
in that like when I, when I think about times when you were talking it made me think about my my kind of morning routine as I, I typically write in the morning um, that's what I like to do first thing and then I, I usually exercise like on my lunch break or sometimes in the afternoons but but occasionally I'll be writing and I'll, I'll get kind of stuck you know I'll just won't know how to kind of phrase an idea or just yeah just be stuck with the writing and I'll, I'll try a couple different things and if it doesn't work one of my little go-to routines and it, it's not I don't know that I ever explicitly like created this little ritual for myself, but I will go work out. I'll go like hop on the treadmill and do like a really intense um, kind of 20 or 30 minute jog or run. And uh, because oftentimes it, you know, I get into that kind of um, that sort of flow or or trance state and stuff just pops up. It's sort of the um, idea in the shower phenomena when you're not deliberately focusing on it. Often your your mind, those, those the the back burner of your mind, so to speak, will kind of surface that stuff for you. Um, so it sounds like what you're doing with with someone say who wants to work on smoking cessation is it's not so much that you're getting them to stop smoking; it's that you're helping them tap into resources they already have to do to to achieve that goal that they already have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you're talking about getting on the treadmill because, again, that rhythmic activity really does generate um, this flow. Um, And I found that I'm not a huge jogger, but, you know, I remember when I was jogging more regularly, I would almost every time feel like I would get ideas about, um, you know, an audio program I wanted to create or something I wanted to write or just an insight about something that was important to me, even if I hadn't been specifically focused on it. Um, so what you're describing is one of the easiest ways for people to tap into their own hypnotic wisdom in a way. You know, you're kind of inner guide. It's, it's kind of like you get the other daytime distraction out of the way. So this really wise part of you can step forward and communicate with you because you've, you're, you're now making room. Yeah, you know, it makes me think about in, in both dissertations, my master's thesis and then my, my PhD dissertation, I, I had very sticky stuck points at one point or another writing those two. And in both cases, I kind of figured out the solution or the answer while I was on a, a run. Um, and, and I've always chalked it up to, to running and exercise, but, but really I'm wondering if I should be attributing that more to running just facilitated this kind of trance state, which is what actually facilitated the, the insight, which was kind of in me already. Um, it just Absolutely. was kind of being distracted from. Absolutely. It's totally true. And, you know, we can give running the credit, too. You know, it's okay to say both of those things were helpful, but absolutely, it's kind of like you turned on the faucet um, and let it flow. Yeah. And, you know, I I can't help but wonder, too, you know, especially in the last 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of research in mental health about how basically universally helpful exercise is for the most common mental health struggles from anxiety to depression to um, just stress generally. And it's, I think it's still a bit of a mystery as to the actual mechanisms of that. Um, but I, I wonder if an underappreciated mechanism there is kind of the, the clarity and, and insight and even motivation that comes from even unwittingly getting yourself into these trance states. Absolutely. I, I'm having a thought. I'm, I'm certainly no physiologist, but 
I remember reading that, um, you know, regular exercise that definitely helps with anxiety and depression um, and reduces panic, but that, you know, regular exercise increases blood flow to, you know, this, you know, frontal area of your brain, your cortex, and um, it increases um, the connections between neurons. So that there's actually a change over time, if you think about it, in the activity and the structure of those frontal areas that help you to pay attention. And I kind of feel like when we engage our areas of the brain that help with planning and decision-making, but you know, in a very logical way, it kind of shifts the focus away from these kind of deeper limbic structures that can get so overactive when we're stressed out or anxious or or sad. I, I don't know if that's a good enough kind of explanation, but that's kind of what that makes me think of. Yeah, absolutely. No, it makes sense. So let's let's talk a little bit more about this idea of um, self-hypnosis and how we, we can kind of put ourselves into hypnotic states. And I want to look at a couple other domain areas. So as I was, I was doing a little research and just kind of investigating around hypnosis before this, this interview. And I, one of the applications of hypnosis I saw that I was like kind of stunned by was, um, childbirth, like labor and delivery. Ah, Have you heard of this hypnosis for birthing? I I guess. Is that a thing? Tell me about it. It's been around for a really long time. Um, and you know, it's, it's not something that I personally have done with anyone. Um, but it makes sense to me that that would help people shift their focus and transform the pain experience and be less anxious and, you know, kind of get their body into gear. Um, you remember how I said a little while ago that there's an automaticity, when people are in a trance state where it feels like their their minds but also their bodies comply like they can almost just allow it to happen more so that's kind of what i'm assuming um is going on there uh, yeah so what okay so what if you had someone who i don't know you let's say you bumped into a, a friend uh on the street who was a month out from from having a baby and they they were a little freaked out about it and they thought like <laughs> i don't know what else to do like give me some tips for like can i do self-hypnosis to try and um make this a, l- a little bit easier on myself like how, how would you go about thinking uh, thinking about a request like that is it is it something you would want them to start doing um, ahead of time or something that's more applicable to in the moment, what they would do? What what would you say to someone like that? So I would say with anything that you know is coming up, starting sooner rather than later is important because hypnosis is kind of like strengthening the muscle of your mind. The more you do it, the more easily you can do it and the more automatic it kind of feels. So um, I, you know, again, hypnobirthing aside, just because it's not something I've actually done with anyone. But if I think about just alleviating anxiety and giving somebody a way to decrease their pain perception and decrease stress and go through mentally rehearse something as being an easier, more seamless process supported by a caring medical team and a caring partner. Um, Mental rehearsal is a very big part of a lot of hypnosis and 
absolutely you can teach somebody to get themselves into a more um, receptive state. You'll already have kind of an idea of how you want that to play out in the real world, and that's what you want them to rehearse mentally. Um, to get into a self-hypnotic state, you can do things like count backwards. It could be from 10 to 1 or 100 to 1 or, you know, from 300 by 3s. Just something where it gives the conscious part of your mind something to do while another part of your mind has this suggestion that with each number back, you're going to become more and more relaxed and your focus is going to shift inward more and, you know, until basically the numbers kind of fall off to the wayside and you're very engrossed in this inner landscape. And um, again, where, um, where this very easy and well-supported, comfortable delivery plays out. Um, are are, you, are you saying that doing that for in preparation or on the day in, of? So in preparation, but then that would also be something that you could do on the day of. Now, if you're first doing something on the day of, it's going to be more difficult for most people, but there are people who have done that. Um, so uh, there was, a, I'm going to forget the details of this, but there was a journalist in the 70s who had surgery um, I think with hypnosis or you know, there are people who've had certainly many people since then who've had some sort of medical procedure. And even if they have had anesthesia, they have had um, hypnosis beforehand. And sometimes that one session is enough to make them have better outcomes with regard to pain or how long they need to be under surgery or even things like bleeding. Um, and actually there's a psychologist, Holly Forrester Miller, people can Google this, but um, she had posted a video that I think is still probably up on YouTube or something, but where she has, um, I think, hernia surgery with just um, hypnotic analgesia. So no actual, um, you know, sedation, no, um, no, you know, anesthesia other than her own self-hypnosis. And she's actually talking while they're doing this and the medical team is checking in with her like you're seeing like four minutes of her procedure. Um, so you actually can, I mean, she had, I'm sure, prepped before that. But, you know, even in like the dentist's office, just having like 20 minutes with somebody before they, um, you know, had a dental procedure could probably reduce a patient's anxiety and increase their comfort. And that's not something that's not something novel. That's certainly been done. How about so one more kind of domain where, where hypnosis might be applicable? You mentioned the idea of um, confidence and people wanting to to maybe use hypnosis to facilitate confidence. So what what about something like performative, like you um, public speaking, you know, like you've got to give a big presentation at work or something like that, or give a big talk. What might what might self-hypnosis look like for that? Um, how might you kind of help guide someone who's, who's got a big talk or something coming up, but they've got a lot of anxiety or, or they lack a lot of confidence about that? So, you know, to, to get into that hypnotic state, again, somebody could use the induction like counting back, like I was talking about, or, you know, I'll work with people and I will give them the suggestion when they're in trance that in their daily life, um, they can make a simple gesture that when they make it, their mind will automatically know to become more relaxed and more confident or whatever the desired goal is. And so that 
making that simple gesture, it could be something like putting your thumb and, and pointer finger together. Like say, if I give you that suggestion, as you practice that in daily life, you're getting yourself into um, a hypnotic state. Um, you know, listening to a hypnosis or guided imagery audio recording on your own can help you get used to counting back or, you know, walking downhill. A lot of it features things like cues to go down, um, cues to go deeper into something, and then getting into uh, more of engaged in um, very vivid internal imagery. So somebody could do any of those things. For somebody who wants to be a more confident public speaker, the imagery that they would want to allow themselves to become very familiar with would be of seeing themselves maybe even as they're going into the room or maybe even before they're leaving their home, feeling more and more confident and wearing an outfit that makes them feel comfortable and, you know, getting to the space where they're going to speak and, you know, feeling their mind very clear and feeling delighted to notice that the words just come out um, very easily and, they are well received and you would you would progress them teach them to progress themselves all the way through each stage of that sequence and um you know the, again the more they do it the more easily um they're able to get into that state so that by the time they actually give that talk they have in a way already done it their minds have experienced it as if they have done it many times and successfully so I've got this big talk coming up. And so I make this plan of, let's say once a day um, on my lunch break, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself, you know, five, 10 minutes and I'm going to do the count backwards method. Um, and I'm going to do that until I start feeling like I'm getting more into that kind of um, trance state. And then what I'm going to, what I'm going to try and, and maybe leading it off with a gesture, like you mentioned, one of those little gestures, like, um, you know, I don't know opening my hand up or pointing two fingers together or something like that. That's sort of a cue. Um, right. And then once I feel like I'm getting into the the trance state, I, I'm going to sort of direct my mind to um, imagine what it's going to be like anticipating walking into the room, but in particular, kind of my confident version of myself, sort of how I'm going to be walking, what, you know, how I'm going to be speaking, what I'm going to be wearing. And then I might just every day, um, for the couple of weeks leading up, practice that same little routine. Um, and then, you know, maybe I do it, um, once more kind of the, the morning of or something, but then kind of go in sort of trusting that I've, I've allowed my, my mind to kind of do some work ahead of time and that it's going to be sort of more prepared when I get to the the big moment. How, how does that sound as a routine? That sounds good. The things I would add to that would be, um, stepping into the feeling state of having done a great job and having it been easier uh, than you thought it would be and really stepping into that you know bodily experience and that emotional experience now some people will say oh well how am i going to do that if i've never done this in real life and one way to do that is to help them recall a previous experience where they thought they wouldn't be able to do something, but they did, and they were successful, and they did even better than they thought they would, and how wonderful that was. So the past success can be a fabulous gateway to embodying future success and decreasing anxiety and increasing confidence. And then 
another option would be to say, okay, if I, you know, I might feel nervous about doing this, but who do I imagine could do this really well? So, um, you know, back in like the 90s and early 2000s, if I asked a female patient that, they'd be like, well, Oprah, Oprah could walk <laughs> into a room and like there's nothing that would make her anxious and she'd be able to handle everything. That might be less relevant for, you know, a man. I don't know. But, um, you know, finding that person in your inner world um, and it could be a real person. It could be a person from your past. It could be um, a character that you've read about or someone in a movie. It doesn't matter. It's just that that being has to be someone that you imagine would easily be able to do that. And then you can imagine stepping in to that felt experience. Um, it's that it's that multi-sensory experience that's going to make it most effective. That's great. You know, it makes me think of like when pilots are train or like astronauts or pilots are, are training in simulators, right? The, the idea is that yes. you, it's not just enough to, to know all the math and technically know which control does which, but you, you need to actually practice and rehearse in an environment that not just looks like what you're going to be in, but that literally feels like it, right? That has all the same kind of sensations on, on all sorts of different levels, because that, it seems like that is really important for prepping yourself, um, which then, of course, leads to more confidence and, and better performance, theoretically. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people, you know, there's obviously successes that they've had, even if, you know, depressed people always think they never had anybody, had any um, successes, but um, everyone has. There are always things that we thought we couldn't do that we did. I mean, you wouldn't be here if you hadn't had multiple successes, right, including survival successes. So, um, you know, that's what you'll draw upon um, if need be. And, um, you know, all of the other tools you mentioned today, like mindfulness and so forth, those things, again, can be really well incorporated to further enhance the effect of that hypnosis. Speaking of mindfulness, um, I, so I do, I do mindfulness myself, personally. I, I have a practice, but I, but I also use it in my clinical practice with clients um, a fair bit. And one of the things that kind of frustra frustrates me with mindfulness is, people come to it with so much baggage, you know, like they, they've heard <laughs> so much stuff about mindfulness and they've seen those obnoxious magazine covers with like the, the perfectly relaxed person sitting in the lotus position in front of a beautiful mountain lake, you know, and it, and, and it, it sounds kind of woo woo too. And they, they associate it with like Eastern mysticism and spirituality. And I often find myself thinking like, God, this would be so much easier if no one had ever heard of mindfulness and I could just, lay it out there with no baggage. I, I'm, it seems to me like in, in one way or another, hypnosis has been sort of a victim of its own celebrity. <laughs> like in, in the past, you know, it's, people have so much baggage associated. Do, do you find that that makes it, is that an obstacle or does that provide, you know, friction for people utilizing it well in your experience? You know, it's so funny because I haven't had people seek me out for hypnosis, right? It's kind of a self-selected yeah. kind of group. Um, but actually I had a, a negative experience a long time ago when um, really quickly when I was a fellow, we got this, you know, we got money we could use toward continuing education. And um, I wanted to do hypnosis training. 
And I kept submitting my requests and it just never, I never heard anything back. And I had my supervisor follow up and the chair of the department wrote, not the most friendly note <laughs> saying, you know, I'm not paying for this because it's not a real thing. And, you know, I was a fellow, I was a pain psychology fellow. And actually some of the best evidence for hypnosis is with pain. Um, so I like, you know, resubmitted with these scientific articles attached and still got denied. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, there, there are people who will say, well, it doesn't, I don't understand it or it doesn't make sense to me. And they, they don't realize that actually there's a lot to it, but it's not, um, for some people, it's going to feel like it's almost magic because for some people it's going to be so helpful. Hmm. And for many people, it's going to be a really helpful tool. But for most people, we want them to do other things too. And, I, and I, I tend not to want to put most things on a pedestal. And so I think with mindfulness, um, you know, that's certainly been the case. You know, where, you know, celebrities on, you know, covers of magazines are, are meditating with the Dalai Lama. Or, <laughs> I mean, that's great. But I could see where people are like, oh, well, that's not for me. Right, right. Okay, so kind of final question for you. Um, if, if anyone listening is interested in, um, e I guess, either self-hypnosis, but, but maybe more kind of clinical hypnosis and, and wants to go about working with a, a professional on this, how, how does someone do that? Like, how do you make sure it's someone who's actually qualified as opposed to just someone who says hypnosis and they're on their website or something? Best question ever, because that's so important. Um, you you know, want to find somebody who is licensed to treat you with something other than hypnosis. Um, mm. And the reason for that is hypnosis is great for the most part. You know, if you're, if you're super healthy and it's not a huge issue, maybe most of your work is just going to be around the hypnosis. But, you know, you really want somebody who's qualified to treat whatever you're bringing in, even if they didn't use hypnosis, because that may or may not be the most appropriate tool for you or for what you want to change. Um, so you want somebody who is certified also um, in clinical hypnosis. So like the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis is a reputable organization. You can go on their website and you can find somebody um, near you who's certified in, in clinical hypnosis and, you know, also has a certain set of ethical standards that they're supposed to adhere to to maintain that certification. So that would be my recommendation. I would steer clear of somebody who is not a clinician, but says that they're certified in hypnosis and it turns out they've done a weekend training um, and that's it. It doesn't mean that somebody can't use the tools to get you into a trance state. That's not even really the issue. I don't even think that's the most difficult part of hypnosis. Um, it's, it's, it requires a kind of a blend of science and art and, um, and good clinical judgment. I think people will get the best outcomes if they do that. And actually, believe it or not, some of the, um, I'm going to say celebrity hypnosis professionals who are actually not clinicians charge way more than a licensed professional would, hmm. um, which is interesting to me. How about resources for self-hypnosis? I, I know you have some um, kind of audio-guided programs. Um, can you tell people a little bit about those or, or other resources that you know yeah, of? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've created, um, a, you know, 11 and counting audio programs. I also put a lot of free stuff out there. So if you look me up, um, there's a lot of free recordings that I have out there as well. Um, 
And it's on everything from building healthier self-esteem to developing your intuition to um, letting go of unhealthy relationships, um, practicing self-compassion or mindfulness. These are all things that, um, you know, I have recordings out there and they're not expensive and some of them you can stream for free on, if you have an Audible membership. Um, but there are lots of other people who I'm sure have um, good recordings out there as well. I mean, you could even buy a book and read a hypnosis script in your own voice and record it and use that to do some self-hypnosis. And, and any provider that works with you will hopefully give you the tools to practice these things um, in between sessions or on your own, whether that's listening to a recording that you did with them in session or um, just teaching you basic techniques to get into that state. So, um, but there's, there's lots of different resources. And again, if all else fails, definitely go for a jog. That's one of the easiest <laughs> ways, right? That's right. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. This has been um, a lot of fun and super informative um, for me, as I hope it is uh, for everyone listening. Where's a good place people can go to find out more about you and your work? So um, my website is uh, Dr. Tracy Stein. It's T-R-A-C-I dot com. Um, you know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and just dipping my toe in the world of Instagram. Um, and actually, they can listen to a lot of my recordings for free on the free Insight Timer app. So they can find me there as well. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.